Our call to worship this morning comes from the prophet Isaiah and from chapter 49. God says, Can a woman forget her nursing child or show no compassion for the child of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Your builders outdo your destroyers, and those who laid you waste go away from you. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather. They come to you. As I live, says the Lord, you should put all of them on like an ornament, and like a bride you shall bind them all. Our opening hymn of worship is number 374 in the hymn book. God is love, let heaven adore him. Please stand if you're able as we sing together.
And now we come to God in prayer. Let's pray together. Holy and mysterious God, maker of all that is, seen and unseen, revealed to us in Jesus of Nazareth, filling us with the breath of your spirit, we worship and adore you. In these moments, we try to be still. We're aware of the rise and fall of our chests as we breathe. We're alert to the feel of the chair that we are sitting on. And the floor beneath our feet, or if we're small, our legs hanging in space. We marvel at the wonder of our bodies somehow like you, and yet completely unique. And we are glad. In those moments, these moments, sorry, we think of those sitting near to us, those who share our homes and those who don't, those who are like us, and those who are very, very different. We take a moment to think of something beautiful and lovely about the person on our right and the person on our left. The people sitting behind us and in front of us. And we thank you for them too. for small people designed to wriggle and explore, for older people who prefer to sit in stillness and reflect, and for everyone in between. We remember that we are just a tiny part of your amazing creation, and that you have trusted us humans to care for and nurture all you have made. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we're selfish or greedy, careless or even destructive. And we are sorry, because when we hurt each other, we hurt ourselves and we hurt you. Thank you for your promise that when we're genuinely sorry, you forgive us. Thank you that you don't keep a record of our mistakes like some kind of divine headmaster. Help us to live our lives in ways that fit in with our prayer. Our prayer for the fulfillment of your kingdom. As we say together in our own first languages, the words Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
couple of weeks ago, I was down in Peterborough at the Baptist Assembly in England. So that's the Baptist Union of Great Britain, which really means England, half of Wales, a tiny bit of Scotland, and a little even smaller bit of Spain. Um, and BMS, the Baptist Missionary Society. And one of the things that they did um, as a symbol was to build a wall of boxes. As part of that assembly every year, they remember the names of ministers and mission partners, missionaries, who have died in that year. And they began the wall by putting down a box with the name of each person who was remembered. Another thing they do is to recognise and celebrate people who have just finished their probationary period as ministers, so that's the first three years in pastorate, and people who have just been commissioned as mission partners, which this year included Ali and Abby, our new mission partners. And they then added a box with their name on. And then around the room were boxes stuffed under chairs, and they said, if there's a box under your chair, fish it out, write your name on it and then bring them up and add them to the wall. So we did that and they built this huge wall with, I should think, at least 200 boxes in it. And then later on they said, well, now we want you to take one back with you. And I thought, really, do I want to take a cardboard box all the way back to Glasgow on the train? Oh, my goodness me. And then I thought, you know what, I really should. And this is the box. This is the box that I was given, and it's got some names on it. I wonder if anybody can read those names. Can you read those? Yeah, just do the first names. Don't worry about the last name. Vivian. Vivian, yeah. So, Glyn and Vivian Chatterton. Now, I had a bit of a woo moment when I got this box with those two names on, because Glyn is the um, treasurer kind of person for the college I trained at, but I actually spent six weeks doing a summer placement at Glynn and Vivian's church the first year I was at college. Greenfield Community Church in Ermston, Manchester, um, is a small church, a similar size to us. Um, they don't have a fancy sanctuary. Everything's been ripped out and they sit on chairs arranged a bit like we do. In fact, they're not so dissimilar from us, really. But I spent six weeks working with them. And I've just got a few pictures of, I nicked off their website some of the things that they do in their church. And you can see they're just like us. A dedicated group of worshippers, providing warmth and fellowship, and serving the community. Well, I thought that was amazing that I got a box with these names on. And then I turned to speak to two ladies who were sitting in front of me. And I said, oh, you know, it's amazing, I got this box, and, and this is from this church where I was once a student minister, and they looked at me, and they smiled, and they said, yes, and you know what, one of those other young, young men who was up there, who was our minister, and that's his church, he went, from our, sorry, he went from our church to that church to be their minister, and we've come to support him. Where are you from? And I said, well, you know, despite the accent, I'm from Glasgow. Oh, well, we know somebody in Glasgow... Do you know Graham Little? <laughs> and I said, well, well yes, I, I know Graham and Margaret. They're, they're part of my church. He said, well, Graham and us, these two ladies, Edna and Leslie, is that right? Were part of the same Baptist church way, way, way back in Sheffield where Graham's dad was the minister. 
And this is a picture of that church, um, Bow Chief Baptist Church. Does it look vaguely familiar, Graham? Okay, there you go. Beaches. Okay, well, nobody ever says things how they're written. Anyway, this is the church in Sheffield where Graham's dad was the minister. And here's a photo of some of them stolen from their website. And as you can see, they're people like us as well. And it got kind of more interesting because I was sitting next to Ruth Goldborn, who preached me in way back, if you can remember that. And she had the name of a deaconess who we both remembered and who these two ladies remembered. And we began to realize just how everybody is connected to everybody else in the church, wherever they are. So I brought my box back all the way from Peterborough to Glasgow. And I thought it would be really good if we could put our names on the box, just our first names. Um, I only knew who it was because they put their last names. But we kind of know who we are. I've got a few names already. But perhaps um, if we stay seated for the next song, we can sing the song and write the names as we go. And just for a change, we'll start over this side, because I always start on the other side. I think I've got most, but not all of the choir.
first reading this morning is from 2 Samuel chapter 22, verses 2 to 7. He said, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my saviour, you save me from violence. I call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. For the waves of death encompassed me, the torrents of perdition assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord, to my God I called. From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry came to his ears. Second reading is Psalm 62, Song of Trust in God Alone. For God alone my soul waits in silence, from him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, I shall never be shaken. How long will you assail a person? Will you batter your victim, all of you, as you would a leaning wall, a tottering fence? Their only plan is to bring down a person of prominence. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone my soul waits in silence, for my hope is from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my deliverance and my honour. My mighty rock, my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. But no confidence in extortion. No, put no confidence in extortion and set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase... Do not set your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and steadfast love belongs to you, O Lord, for you repay to all according to their work. Today, as I'm sure many, if not all of us, are aware, is Trinity Sunday. 
the last of the special Sundays in the liturgical church year for quite a long time. In fact, until the autumn when we hit Christ the King and start all over again with Advent. For at least a decade, I've made a point of marking Trinity Sunday in worship, trying to explore the mystery of a triune God, simultaneously three persons and yet one divinity. And I have to be honest and say, this year, as I thought of trying to do that yet again, I groaned inwardly. So I decided I was going to do something different and take a necessarily brief look at a few of the metaphors used in scripture to describe the divine, to speak about God. As a rule, the language we use to speak about God is anthropomorphic, making God a human being. In fact, making God a man, a male human being. And at one level, there is absolutely nothing wrong with this, since the way that Christians believe that God's ultimate self-revelation occurred is in a man, in Jesus of Nazareth. And yet, at another level, there is plenty wrong with it, because it leads to us making God in our own image, which usually means Caucasian, white, It usually means old. It usually means dressed in white and with the characteristics of a benign, benevolent grandfather. Is that really all there is to God? A kind of Holy Father Christmas figure? It's interesting that when we speak of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, we don't seem to have any problem with inanimate images. Last week we thought about wind, fire and water and everybody seemed quite comfortable with that. Even with animal images such as as the dove. But as soon as we speak of the first person of the Trinity, of the God who says, my name is, I am, I am who I am, I will be who I will be, we get a little bit uncomfortable with anything that's not human and not male. Which is a shame, because we will find in Scripture images of God as an inanimate object, of God as an animal, and of God as a non-male human. And I know that for many, many believers, the language of God as Father is hugely comforting. But there are others for whom it is equally disturbing and distressing, either because their own experiences of their Father were bad, perhaps because they didn't know their Father, or for some men, actually, who struggle with fatherhood. It's not necessarily a helpful image. And so today I've deliberately chosen two groups of metaphors, one inanimate and the other human and female for us to explore, necessarily briefly. The image of God as a craggy rock, or even more the image of God as a fortress, may jar with our sensibilities as people who try to avoid military languages or images that we associate with warfare, the idea of God as a weapon or a shield, is perhaps not one we like. 
But actually, our avoidance of such imagery is probably just as unhelpful as an over-reliance on the cosy image of granddad God. The purpose of a fortress or a castle, often built on high ground, a hill, a rock, or a mound, is less often one of offence, of instigating attack, and more often one of defence, a place of safety and security for those who dwell within its walls. The fortress is first and foremost a place of refuge, not only from those who might wish to harm those inside it, but from the harsh extremes of the elements. I'm sure most, if not all of us, have visited castles or the ruins of castles in these islands and have been struck not just by the size and the grandeur, but the thickness of the walls and the huge fireplaces designed to provide heat for those who dwelt inside. Whole communities of rich and poor, people who worked and people who were waited upon, living together within walls where it was reasonably safe. The image we have of God here is totally inanimate. A passive entity into which humanity, which can be quite battered, can come for shelter from the storms of life. The idea of God as a safe place A God who doesn't do so much as a God who is. A God who is there. A God perhaps to whom we are alert only when the storms come. But a God we would miss desperately if God were not there to offer us shelter and security when everything else seems hopeless. And then a little digression. I had this strange thought came into my head when I was pondering the image of God as a rock. Rocks are strong. Rocks are effectively permanent and immovable. A foundation which the psalmist contrasts with himself. I love the image there in the psalm. I don't know if you picked it up. But of the psalmist as well, a sugarly fence, a wibbly-wobbly wall that's not so good. And then I remembered that Jesus called the apostle Simon Peter, the rock. Well, I think Peter was unsteady and unstable as a disciple, as you could wish to meet. He got all kinds of things wrong. He was far more like the psalmist's wall than the sure, steadfast rock that is God. And yet, it was Peter the wobbly whom Jesus chose to found the church. And it's people like us, in all our frailty and limitation, who've written our names on a cardboard box, who form the living stones of a house intended by God to offer shelter from the storms of everyday life. The Lord is my rock, and my fortress.
and my deliverer. The third reading is Isaiah 66, verses 9 to 13. Do not think that I will bring my people to the point of birth and not let them be born. The Lord has spoken. Rejoice with Jerusalem, be glad for her, all you that love this city. Rejoice with her now, all that you have mourned for her. And the fourth reading is Psalm 22, verses 1 to 10. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? I have cried desperately for help, but still it does not come. During the day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. I call at night, but get no rest. But you are enthroned as the Holy One, the one whom Israel praises. Our ancestors put their trust in you. They trusted you and you saved them. They called to you and escaped from danger. They trusted you and were not disappointed. But I am no longer a human being. I am a worm despised and scorned by everyone. All who see me jeer at me. They stick out their tongues and shake their heads. You relied on the Lord, they say. Why doesn't he save you? If the Lord likes you, why doesn't he help you? It was you who brought me safely through birth. And when I was a baby, you kept me safe. I have relied on you since the day I was born. And you have always been my God. Here ended the fourth lesson. Given that the first chapter of Genesis tells us very plainly that human beings, male and female, bear the image of God, whether that is individually or collectively, it shouldn't surprise us to find feminine images of God in the scriptures. And yet, whilst we can cope with prophets and psalmists using such language, our own default mode is almost inevitably male. We like a God who can do nice macho things. But we can be uneasy about references to anything inanimate. And we can be even more uneasy about anything as intimate and sensual as childbirth or breastfeeding. And that avoidance is to our detriment 
giving us inevitably a one-sided insight into the God whose image we bear. And yes, in scripture it is written, the image of God breastfeeding his people. The two passages we just heard read for us seem to mix up their metaphors quite a bit. They combine the idea of God as a midwife, as the one who oversees birth and ensures that a child is safely delivered, and the idea of God as a mother who carries the embryo prior to birth, who gives birth to the child and feeds it with her breast milk. The writers seem to slide effortlessly between making God, on the one hand, or Zion and Jerusalem, on the other, the object of the metaphor. And we'll just return to that briefly later on. The metaphor of God has its own issues, just as the metaphor of God as father does. So mother and father are both not without their problems. But the metaphor of God as mother as the one in whom we are conceived, is for me at least mind-blowing. The possibility that I began as a thought or an idea or a concept within the divine and that God brought that safely into existence through the union of my parents and gestation within my mother's womb seems too huge for me to understand. And yet, this is what is being hinted at the way God relates to us. And perhaps it's not so far from the idea of spiritual birth that Jesus spoke of to Nicodemus. The mother imagined in Scripture not only carries us from conception to birth, She protects her newborn infant. She nurses her. She feeds and consoles him. She dandles them on her knee. It's a delightful image. Perhaps it's a little bit too good to be true, but it hints at a God who cherishes us and seeks above all our well-being. Or what about the metaphor of the midwife? Midwives are sometimes childless women who have no children and will have no children of their own. And yet they come alongside mothers to help them safely deliver their babies, looking out for the welfare of mother and child alike. A good midwife not only enables the womb to open, to bring forth this child, she ensures maternal health and well-being so that the womb is not subsequently closed and incapable of carrying or birthing a further child. Do we dare to imagine God as one who comes alongside us as we conceive and bring to birth new ideas, new faith, new understanding? This image is one of the huge responsibility placed upon the midwife and the even greater trust and vulnerability on the part of the mother. Do we dare to trust God with those parts of our lives where we feel most vulnerable, most frightened, most unsure, 
most in need of that coming alongside. I noted already that the writers slip effortlessly from speaking of God as mother and midwife to speaking of Jerusalem or Zion in the same terms. Historically, the church, by which I mean the worldwide church, has sometimes been referred to the mother alongside God as father. I did try to track down which of the early church fathers, as they were called, said this first. Um, But actually, it seemed like a lot of them did and quoted each other. But they asserted rather boldly that anyone who does not have the church as mother cannot have God as father. What they were effectively saying is that salvation exists only within the church. Now, I have to say I'm not sure I want to accept that conclusion, but I do find the image of the church as mother a helpful one to consider along the idea of Zion and Jerusalem as being a mother or a midwife. What might it mean if we dared to imagine the church as a midwife, bringing safely to birth new ideas and new ways of discipleship? What if we saw the church as a place in which we nurture individuals to become the people God made them to be? And what if we learned to play a bit more, to dangle on our metaphorical knees those who will carry on our hopes and visions? Have we all got just a little bit too grown up sometimes? Do we need to learn again to play as a mother plays with her child? God says, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. Amongst other things, Jesus is famous for saying this. How often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. It's a beautiful image that captures something of the characteristics both of the fortress built upon the rock and of the mother or midwife delivering and protecting a newborn infant. As I read and reflected on the metaphors we've shared, I was quickly struck that despite some obvious differences, actually there are many similarities. 
a God who is there from everlasting to everlasting, before us and after us. A God who offers us protection and safety before we're born, throughout our lives and indeed beyond. A God who longs for us to find fulfilment and fullness of life. But that verse about the chicken, the hen and her chicks, has a context. What Jesus actually says was this. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you are not willing. Having exchanged Jerusalem for the church universal and by implication for the church local, I kind of found myself hearing those words spoken to me and to us. The reality is that the church doesn't always get it right. We long to be a safe place of refuge for battered people, to be a nurturing community where everybody who is welcome who comes in But of course, because we're human, sometimes we get it wrong, and other times badly so. But it's not the failure to get it right that is the real cause of Jesus' sadness. He longs to gather up and protect Jerusalem, and therefore the church, local and universal, in all its brokenness and waywardness. The problem he has is the refusal to be gathered in and kept safe. This kind of defiant independence. Somewhere a choice has to be made. A shelter or a refuge of itself is just an empty shell. Only those who choose to go inside it can find safety. A midwife in isolation can't deliver a child the mother has to seek her help. And a child can't raise itself. It has to reach out to its parents. The God who protects us, nurtures and sustains us is always waiting for us to say yes, however tentatively, however tremulous it might be. As we step into the fortress as we come under the shelter of the mother's bird's wings, as we bring to birth or allow to be brought to birth that which is latent within us, whether we are speaking individually or collectively. We can never fully understand God's nature and we will always need new metaphors, new images, Maybe new names, but God's loving, safe embrace will always be part of what we discover, whatever name we bring, whatever metaphor we use. Bring many names, beautiful and good. Celebrate in parable and story, holiness and glory, living Loving God, hail and hosanna, bring many names.
Let us pray. As a mother comforts a child, so you comfort us, O God. You nourish us and encourage us with love and tend our wounded feelings with gentleness. You smile with us when we push the boundaries and venture into new places, learning by our mistakes and maturing in understanding and in sensitivity. You weep for us when we turn our backs on you, when we hurt others by a thoughtlessness or by willful intent, when we do not love one another as you love us, nor forgive others as we are forgiven. You are patient with us, willing our return to you, (coughs) impatient to see us reconciled to one another and to you. To love someone else's life more than our own, to reach out in support of another person's weakness when we ourselves are falling. To give another person hope when we are close to despair. And to offer forgiveness when we are unforgiven. This is what you ask of us, Lord, and it is hard. Hard to give when we are poor. Hard to help when we need help. Hard to encourage when we are discouraged. Yet Christ loved when he was hated. He forgave when he was crucified. And he won eternal life for all mankind by his own death. We are not asked to take an untravelled way. You have set the crucified Christ before us as risen Lord and promised that we can share in his life. So, Lord, we will press on in the knowledge that you are with us as an indestructible love, leading us to fullness of life which cannot be taken away from us. Go with us then into the troubled and perplexed world in which we too will be troubled and perplexed. Go with us and help us to calm trouble and heal perplexity, carrying on our shoulder the cross and in our hearts the joy of service until Christ's work is complete and you are glorified forever. Amen.
loving, living God, as we bring these gifts of money and as we offer them to you as an act of worship, we do so in the hope that you will inspire us to spend them wisely, to bring to birth new ideas, to help to make the church a place of safety for all who enter its doors and to share the good news of Jesus in this community and beyond. To the glory of his name. Amen. Our God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast and our eternal home. We stand, if we're able, as we sing. This week will bring us sunshine or storm, challenge or change. Bless us with the assurance of your protective shelter and continued nurture. This we ask in the name of the triune God, creator, redeemer and sustainer, one God, now and always. Mm -hmm. 